It's the Stars Apart, a special bonus episode. Uh, no Q&As this week as New York Comic Con is ongoing and I had some appearances I had to make there. But I uh, thought I'd do a general episode, give you some news, give you some updates, and uh, highlight what's around the bend for Nights of the Slice, Toy Pizza, Twitch, etc., etc. So, welcome to the Stars Apart. It's October, starting to cool down a bit, although uh, during my recent trip to the city, we did have a couple 70-degree days. Um, Nikki and I uh, managed to meet up in the city, and we did a little tour of New York, made what I think is going to be a very good video, and uh, it was blisteringly hot for October, uh, but I suppose that's the new norm. In any case, look forward to quite a few Toy Pizza videos coming up soon that I'm going to be super proud of. And um, we also had the chance to see Venom 2. Um, boy, it is certainly a piece of cinema, I'll tell you that much. Um, it's it's really such... The, the Venom films are such a bizarre thing because they sort of take you back to like the mid-90s before MCU ever existed, before, like, we had the correct formula for making sort of comic book movies. This is really a throwback to that. Um, It feels not unlike something like Jim Carrey's The Mask or The Shadow or some of the sort of lesser Batman films after Tim Burton sort of departed the projects. But, um, you know, definitely... (laughs) Uh, something that is fun to see with other comic book fans. Uh, I, I cannot call this a good film. I don't think in good conscience I could recommend uh, you do, you you know, you spend your money and risk your life to go to a theater to see it. But um, we had fun anyway. And uh, in this video, we will be revisiting something we did many, many years ago during the first start of Toy Pizza. We will be giving a sort of uh, travel guide or tour of the hotspots we like to hit in New York City. Um, And these could be replicated by any nerd who's traveling like us. You know, you you will now know everywhere you need to go. It's just as comprehensive as our uh, Japanese travel guide. So look forward to that. I think it's going to be a really fun video. Speaking of general updates, uh, as of right now, all of October action figures of the month have left the building. Some have even shown up. Uh, I had a little bit of a staggered shipping schedule, rushing to kind of get everything done, time for Comic-Con, so I think largely over the next week, at different times during the week, different people are going to get their packages. It was not uh, all consolidated into one pickup. It was spread out over three different pickups by USPS. So just a heads up there. Be patient. If you're trying to avoid spoilers, maybe stay off the internet for a few days. Uh, What will probably be pretty apparent when you get this figure is that October's Action Figure of the Month figure was not actually October's Action Figure of the Month figure, but a different month. Um, Didn't really have it pinned down. Could have been November, could have been December, but um, not the original figure planned. But this should not be surprising to anybody who's paying attention to the news at all. And this is going to bring me to a bigger point in the next segment. But uh, they've officially sort of... uh, 
broken the news on the AP that uh, China is in fact, the factories are dealing with two days a week where they're allowed to manufacture goods. And this is due to what they're calling power outages. Now, this information is handled, uh, sort of handed to people that do manufacturing a while ago, but had not been broken in an official international news capacity. News is obviously um, not always on the up and up when it comes out of China. No surprise to anybody there. So now officially people know worldwide that uh, the majority of factories are only allowed to produce goods one to two days a week. And uh, as you can imagine, factories are typically working six to seven days a week to finish orders. And this has slowed everything down to a crawl. Um, it's a pretty extraordinary time. And I got to tell you, I don't think there's going back to normal here. Um, I think that what we're going to see happen here, and we're already seeing it in little ways, is that big companies with a lot of money will be able to force their goods through or monopolize the time of the assembly lines or go to different countries altogether, uh, while independent operations such as mine are going to continue to be squeezed more and more. We saw this happen when it came to air freight and the slowdown, the, you know, the uh, lack of available aircrafts and cargo planes and pilots, um, you know, essentially bigger companies are just gobbling up all that time. And, uh, that leaves people like me. And that leads us nicely into our next point, which is after December action figure of the month will not be action figure of the month. Uh, there is no way conceivably that I can continue to ship a special figure, uh, every 30 days. What we're seeing uh, throughout the course of this year with the club is the challenges of being able to deliver something like that. And um, there are sort of fair criticisms out there of how the club has been tackled this year. But to date, we have shipped everything as promised. And I do think we're going to close out this year and be able to meet all the obligations. But that means we're going to start fresh next year. Um, I don't have the exact formula laid out for what that's going to look like. Um, likely Patreon will still be the landing page for all of this. Um, hopefully we can still do 12 figures. They just not may be able to ship, uh, you know, every 30 days. You might have two months go by and then get two figures something like that. There is also the opportunity, which requires a little more research on my part, but to shift the Patreon to a per project or per creation basis. So essentially you're not being charged every 30 days, but you do get charged when there is a new figure ready to ship. Um, I have some reservations about that type of rollout and um, it may not be the right fit for us. So I'm not entirely sure how this is all going to manifest, but I'm starting to think along the lines of not AFOTM, but rather action figure of the club, which is kind of funny and kind of clumsy, but uh, that's the sort of new face of our project that uh, is rattling around inside my head. So um, just, uh, you know, keep an eye on this. I will continue to update as I figure out how exactly we're going to pull off the club next year and how to do it with sort of 
the minimal amount of change and friction because that's never fun. You know, I applaud everybody for making the jump from a sort of separate crowdfund campaign for the Action Figure of the Month Club to Patreon. We were able to do that with probably only like a 1% loss of enrollees, which is pretty exceptional. And I really don't want to have, uh, you know, um, to keep asking you guys every year to switch formats and switch subscriptions and all that stuff. So I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of satiate everything. Uh, But I do think it is very important for everybody to have the expectation that not just with my line, but with all the lines you collect, uh, the way things were, that's gone. There's been a paradigm shift, and the sort of convenience we had as collectors and the ease in which we sort of acquired things, especially new manufactured things, uh, that's gone. Now, we may return to 80% of what we used to have, but um, this is a huge, huge shift. And, you know, maybe your entire life... You had it where store shelves were always fully stocked and you could just simply order whatever you wanted online, but that's changed now. There is one specific line of questioning about this year's Action Figure of the Month Club that I do want to answer because I do think it is, uh, you know, it's an important piece of transparency here. So, uh, the question was laid out, why does something like, let's take for example, Cat's Claw, which is in the store... It is, uh, you know, a beautiful metallic red figure, and it has some pretty deluxe paint and uh, an accessory. Why is something like that a store item versus, uh, you know, something like the silver classic knight with cowboy armor that was a club figure? You know, why are there figures in store that feature paint and all these extra things and club figures that do not? Why are there so many material styles going out into the club? So the answer is twofold. One is that I've certainly had to use more material styles, and I've also had to repeat the same style of figure this year way more than I intended to. Uh, There's no question about that. Uh, The reason behind it, of course, is this big global shortage and pandemic uh, ramifications that we're still dealing with. The second part to this is that material styles I can order in bulk because they are a cheaper unit cost and they require less time because they have no paint deco, right? I can burn those out pretty quickly and get them over here, um, sometimes within a few weeks of ordering it. Uh, the paint process to manufacturing is uh, can be endlessly complicated and require a lot of workthroughs and uh, fixes and things like that. But the bigger reality here is that I don't know what my club figure numbers are every month. I have a pretty good idea, but because this year we've allowed people to drop in and out throughout the month, that number changes. Uh, Compared to releasing a store item, I know I only need X amount to meet the bare minimum. And whether or not an item sells out, you know, is somewhat out of my control. So club figures, I actually need quite a bit more of than I do for anything I release on the store. Because there's not just fulfillment in the club. You know, we have anywhere between 200 and 250 patrons in any given month. There's a big sort of fluctuation that happens. 
Um, to release something in the store, I don't need that many, right? But when it comes to Patreon the club, I have to satisfy the, you know, potential 250 people that might already be enrolled or might purchase through Patreon. We have these pre-orders, of course. We have booster months where people can throw in an extra one as it's coming to them. So the demand is always going to be much higher than the bare minimum I have to put a quantity for in the store. The other reality is that store figures are ordered sometimes a year or more in advance. So something like Cat's Claw, I've had in stock for a very long time. It's been sitting here waiting for its release window, waiting for a narrative that kind of made sense for it. And the quantity I have of Cat's Claw is much smaller than the demand for both sort of my my core Patreon numbers, but then also any uh, lower tier Patreons that want to order it, and then a sort of public sale. So it's not as easy as just taking a store release figure and deciding that's going to be the club figure because there's not going to be enough to go around. The demand for club figures is much higher than the actual Patreon number and that, you know, the quantity has to be uh, much, much bigger. Now that probably begs the question, why not just order as many of the store figures as you might need for club figures? Well, the problem becomes items just sitting there in the store and as I pointed out on previous Distazapods, when you have a, an item that doesn't sell, there are multiple factors where you take a hit, right? One, there's the concern of space. I have a very small sort of workshop and any goods that aren't being sold, they're sitting there taking up space that uh, I desperately need. It's a battle of inches out there. Uh, the other thing is for every one unit of an item that's not sold, that's profit that I'm not actualizing, that I'm not putting back into buying more figures. That is sort of dead stock that's sitting there taking up space and not giving me cash flow in order to move the ball forward with new designs, new sculpts, new figures. So the easiest way to sort of uh, crash this company would be to have a lot of unsold merchandise and have a lot of single specific styles of characters that I have way too much of. To further and better illustrate this point, let's say I can sell, I'm just using random rounded numbers, let's say I can sell 500 of a Knight of the Slice, uh, sorry, of an Action Figure of the Month Club figure. I can sell 500 total. Now, part of that, you know, is taken up by the 200 patrons or 250 patrons, you know, whatever the number may be that month. Um, another large chunk of that is the fact that a lot of my customers want to buy two of everything. Some of them buy three, four, or five of everything. So that number very easily uh, gets diminished. The other thing to think about is I have double month patrons. These people typically get two of a figure. They're not just getting one automatically of a figure. So um, let's say a store item is uh, 200 pieces or 250 pieces. You see that taking a store item, putting it into the club, it doesn't actually work. There's not enough to go around. All of this is to say, ultimately, that all of us in this hobby, all of us 
who go after these collectibles, myself included, we've had it very, very easy. And we've had it very easy our entire lives. And I believe that that is now changing. I think that it might be an irreversible change. So, uh, I appreciate everybody's patience with the club. There are going to be dramatic changes starting in January of next year. I will continue to piece together that plan and keep you guys updated. And uh, other than that, I would say enjoy what you got because it is a struggle to keep it rolling. So, how was New York Comic Con? I'm sure you're asking. Uh, you know, I've been very, very strict about not going out uh, into large public crowds. I haven't done any of these sort of events I wanted to do this year. Uh, the reason I changed my mind about New York Comic Con was solely to support our good friends at Plunderlings. And, you know, frankly, I'm curious what these things are like now. So, uh, I can say... I thought the show was very, very tightly run. Um, there were a lot of different checkpoints for people being vaccinated. You had to show your card. Actually, all of Manhattan is really locked down. You know, I didn't go into a single store or restaurant that didn't demand my card. And, you know, look, there are sort of draconian and totalitarian uh, fantasies you can indulge in with this kind of government overreach or whatever you want to call it, but it does work, and I was glad to uh, sort of see this so strict. The show was obviously much less crowded. I think they were, you know, they probably uh, had a cap on the amount of tickets they were going to sell. Also, just, uh, you know, I think attendance is going to be down in general. There were quite a few people that I had seen and enjoyed bumping into at previous New York Comic Cons that, you know, they just, they simply didn't go to the show. The one thing that has sort of been worse and worse every year and was non-existent this year was sort of small vendors and specifically like, um, you know, used toy vendors. There, there used to be a couple great vendors that would set up at New York Comic Con that had just bins and bins of loose toys and I would find such great treasure there. And those guys have become far and few between over the past couple of years and they were simply non-existent this show. Um, I just, I did not see, I saw maybe two or three booths that really uh, appealed to me. Um, the rest of it just felt like, you know, this sort of rabble you see at local uh, comic shows. But in any case, I was happy to go. Um, it was great to spend time with the Plunderlings crew. Uh, I had a lot of fun at my signing. It was great to see the squires that came by and said hi. And, um, you know, I, I'm hoping by next year these things can be in a little more robust fashion. And also, you know, I really want to get back to doing Toy Pizza Con. That's a, that's a big goal for me. And if we can do it safely in 2022, uh, then I absolutely want to do it. Um, so I would say... New York Comic Con was a, uh, you know, a worthy exercise. And, uh, you know, thank you to uh, the folks that came by and said hi. Another thing I wanted to say briefly, if you guys happen to follow them on Patreon, 
uh, the Toy Galaxy boys have moved into their own official studio. They've rented a separate space, and uh, they're setting up their set. And I gotta tell you, it's very exciting, but it's also very fulfilling, because I'm a patron of Toy Galaxy. I've seen Dan and Greg grow their channel from its infancy into being their full-time jobs. And uh, I think it's fantastic. And, and I think that this connection between being able to support uh, artists and creative types and content makers, it just makes you feel so much better, you know, when you consume this content. It, it makes you feel like you're contributing because you are. And uh, I'm always sort of encouraging people to you know, get rid of at least one streaming service and go and spread some money around Patreon to, to some creators. Because I think it does really make a difference and you can see the material difference. I mean, those guys being able to move into their own space and have a dedicated area to film their videos and have consistent lighting and things like that, it's all incredibly crucial and, you know, it's a big step and I really applaud them. And I'm sure that within my audience, we have an affinity circle. I'm sure there's a couple people that are also patrons of Toy Galaxy. And uh, I commend you guys. And, you know, I think uh, it's very easy to sort of feel very hollow about all the things we purchase and we use our money for. But when you can kind of make a creative person who's legitimately sort of doing great work and, you know, doing it without corporate interference, when you can help make their lives better and their content better. I think that's, uh, you know, that's a bright spot in a dark universe. So I want to encourage people to keep that up. And I wanted to say congratulations to Dan and Greg. Nice work, guys. The beginning of October saw us travel back to Pangaea Island. And now at this point, you guys have seen the first collection of figures and even got a little piece of the story of what's happening there. Needless to say, things are not going well on Pangaea Island. Everyone got their shot at a Pangaea Island Assault Hacker Man, which I think is a really fantastic colorway. I think I finally sort of figured out a, a good color scheme that represents Pangaea Island. Uh, and you also got a new version of an old character everybody loves, the Vecpire. Uh, I guess technically this is the third Reed Schweizer figure so far, right? Um, and uh, he debuted to great accolades and uh, sold out very quickly. The Pangaea Island Assault Hacker Man has been requisitioned. He, his parts are going to be donated to a brand new Frankenslice that I have coming over the ridge that uh, I think people will agree there is a, a great, there will be a great demand for. So if you missed out on him, uh, his parts will live on and you can probably pretty easily uh, piece him together in the near future. For the Vecpire, um, I, I don't have any good news there. But thank you to everyone who turned out. Thank you for everybody that tuned in to the uh, live stream and saw the early um, sort of sneak previews of Gavin's artwork. This is being compiled with some of my pros into the next ebook, which should be out, uh, I think, at the end of this month. Now, our stay in Pangaea Island is sort of predicated on the arrival of the Chromega figure. 
Uh, I do not have news as of today, but my hope is that he will be departing overseas shortly. Uh, I'm not going to touch upon what factors might delay, as I seem to do that in every single episode. But we have another duo of characters that will be out prior to Chromega's arrival. These are, again, new spins on old favorites, without saying too much as to give away the surprise. So the calendar should look something like this upcoming Tuesday will be a Wheel of Nights evening. The following Tuesday will be the next two characters in our Pangaea Island uh, assortment, followed by another Wheel of Nights, followed by, hopefully, fingers crossed, the arrival of Chromega, the completion of the Pangaea Island story, and the publication of the Pangaea Island uh, ebook. So, if all of that ties together nicely, gets us to, let's say, first or second week of November, I will be very happy, and we can close the book on this chapter and start looking towards the end of the year and all the excitement that may be contained there. In any case, some figures moving forward may have a smaller window of availability. They may go a little bit quicker. Uh, obviously, these are sort of further ripples, ramifications of the delays that are happening. Uh, being a Patreon member is the best way to safeguard from things selling out, as I am pretty good about offering pre-orders on nearly everything in the store to patrons first, and they can sort of secure their goods and not run the risk of having something sell out or the dreaded carjacking, which does happen from time to time. So if this is something you want to consider and you're not a current Patreon member, you can go to patreon.com slash Stasio and secure the supply drops. Do not let them get cartjacked. I also did publish the Pangaea Island song, which uh, I'm not very good at making music, but this is one of my better ones, and people seem to like it. So you can listen to that on the SoundCloud or on the post. Uh, just look at some of the previous posts on Pangaea Island to find that out. Okay, so that's all laid out. You understand the path towards Chromega. Hopefully, he'll be embarking on his long journey soon, and I can get that out to everybody, and I can fill all your campaign pre-orders. Um, something else I wanted to talk about, a couple people have brought this up to me, and I was talking a little bit about it at New York Comic Con, and that is about the current crop of Kickstarter campaigns that are going on, and specifically in our hobby, in the action figure world, there are some big ones happening right now. And uh, I don't really want to name names, because I'm not trying to be disparaging here. Uh, you know, I, I really do sort of uh, commend anybody that puts it out there and, you know, takes the jump from being a fan or being a creator to attempting to make a toy line. And, you know, I know a lot of hard work is involved in that. But there are some sort of notable and newsworthy campaigns going on right now. So I'll just speak in the general. Uh, I'm not trying to sort of put anybody on blast or, you know, things like that. But one of the popular things that people have been asking me about is about campaigns that sort of have this huge influx of cash out of nowhere. And is that legitimate? Is that a sort of boosting? Is it cause for concern? Uh, can these things happen organically? And, you know, I, I think that's a fair question. 
But I'm going to say all of this with the caveat that I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm just sort of purely speculating here. Um, I have previously said that I will support anybody's Kickstarter campaign for action figures. Uh, I'm having a hard time living up to that recently. Part of that is I know that starting a new toy line at this date is going to be incredibly arduous. And these campaigns that, you know, take two plus years, that's only going to get worse and worse. I, I just, I have a hard time seeing how this stuff is going to be delivered in a reasonable fashion and not through sort of malfeasance or the campaign runners ripping people off, just just through the log head jam that's going on at, uh, you know, overseas. So part of that is the reason that I, I'm kind of trepidatious about putting my money into these campaigns uh, at this date. The other reason I'm really having to be very selective about these things is that I've found uh, quite a few recent campaigns to just be kind of bland and, and not for me. I'm sure they are exciting propositions for other people. Uh, you know, I'm also not really a six-inch action figure collector, so uh, that seems to be the popular uh, category du jour for crowdfunding and things like that. Um, it's hard for me to sort of muster excitement within myself for these campaigns because, you know, I think if it was four-inch scale, which, you know, is sort of my sweet spot, I don't think I'd have any problem tossing out money um, because it's not, you know, I find myself kind of uh, going against my policy of backing these things. But onto this sort of pressing question that a couple people have asked me, can a campaign that's not doing very well sort of, uh, you know, rake in tens of thousands of dollars middle of the campaign um, in a sort of organic way? Um, I mean, it's plausible, right? You could have a online retailer that places a big order. Um, you could suddenly have, you know, just a big influx of people discovering your campaign. It's, it's, um, you know, it's not beyond the realm of consideration. But here's what I always do, and I, I'm going to make a recommend recommendation for you guys as well. There is a website called KickTrack, and it is spelled K-I-C-K-T-R-A-Q. And uh, they have a sort of web browser widget you can add, but you can also just go to the site and you can type in any public campaign. And it will show you all these charts and graphs of different things about the campaign. And it will even, after a certain amount of time, start making projections. It'll give you a range of where these campaigns are likely to end up based on their velocity. And I study KickTrack a lot. And I do it for campaigns I back, and I do it for campaigns that I don't back. And what I look at when there's a big influx of money is what was that day's new backer count, right? Because it'll spell this out as well. So if a campaign pulls in, let's say, $50,000 in 24 hours, they should have a number that corresponds to uh, that dollar amount. Let's say it's a $30 figure. Let's say that the biggest tier they have is $250. You would want that to be divisible by the dollar amount for that day. So if the average 
Kickstarter backer just does one figure at, let's say, $30, and you did $50,000 of business in a single day, you would expect the new backer count to be uh, in excess of $1,600, etc., etc., backers for that day. If the new backer count is substantially lower, well, that means that um, the required dollar amount from each of those backers is substantially higher. If the new backer count for that day is only two or three people, then that two or three people are spending in excess of 10 grand each when the top tier of a campaign is $250. Now again, a single entity could be just funneling cash into a campaign. Could be a retailer, could be the creator using their own money through a proxy. I I don't know if that's illegal, I I don't think it is. And, you know, I've had very enthusiastic fans who have put up uh, beyond the sort of tier limit into a campaign simply because they wanted to see something happen. So, um, these are all sort of considerations. But I think the main reason that um, something, a phenomenon like that would give you pause is because it may be inflating your production run and the ultimate demand of the market. So let's say you have a mysterious benefactor or you have a retailer who wants to add 2,000 units of the figure you're doing and uh, they do that through your campaign. Well, that's 2,000 additional units you're running at the factory, which will help your unit cost, but probably are going to take your project and make it something that is not available for air freight, meaning you're going to be queued up and waiting in that big line of ships that is currently uh, congesting the Pacific. And you're now shipping thousands of units more than there is an organic sort of uh, person-to-person demand for. So let's see that thought exercise through. All the goods land, you fulfill your organic campaign orders, which is maybe 100, 200, maybe 300 people. And then you got another 2,000 units that are floating out there. And if you've already satisfied the 300 campaign backers, that is your core audience. Those are your alpha consumers. Um, You will work one person at a time to build your fan base beyond that. That is really like the biggest point of impact that you're going to have, at least, you know, in the first year or two of, of uh, your toy making. If there's still another 2,000 units out there, and they're on a retailer, and they sit there, um, they're going to get discounted. They're, they're going to affect the ultimate demand for your product, and it's probably going to kneecap you from having a Series 2 and, and continuing on with your campaign. So again, all of this is speculation, and this is all an abstraction, so feel free to throw it all away. But these are the sort of things that I sort of think about before I'm putting my money down on a campaign and trying to visualize, am I going to get my money's worth? And, you know, I'm not a sort of secondary market speculator. That doesn't really matter to me. But if I can imagine that these things are going to be clearanced, in the future and in abundance, it does take away some of the specialness of backing a campaign. You know what I mean? Um, There is a sort of perceived value to these things, whether or not we're flippers or people who, you know, are just going to resell. So ultimately, where I land and the advice I would give to people is 
you know, back whatever campaigns get you excited, but use kick track all the time. It is really fascinating to watch. Um, seeing the projections and seeing them change every day are, uh, you know, pretty crucial to the experience. And, uh, you know, I know people's money is tight. So be smart about where you put this and, uh, you know, go to the data and just take a look. I think you'll find it pretty interesting. And again, I applaud anybody that's putting their nuts on the chopping board and, uh, you know, doing the work to get a campaign out there. Now, before I go, uh, I just checked the stats on Destazapod, and I believe that this episode is going to kick us up beyond 20,000 listens, and I think that's pretty phenomenal. Thank you guys for tuning into this. Um, it seems odd to me that anyone would want to listen to even a couple minutes of my voice 20,000 times, but I guess that is the power of the Squires of the Slice. Make sure you tune in. This upcoming Tuesday night, we're going to play Wheel of Nights yet again. We're going to go to the archives and pull out some real good figures. And uh, just thanks for buying our stuff. Thanks for reading the comics. Thanks for watching our shows. Uh, new Toy Pizza episodes on YouTube every Friday at noon Eastern Time. We got some doozies coming up. Very, very excited for the next slate of Toy Pizza videos. I'm very happy to be back making videos. It's a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, fingers crossed, we get our boy Crow landed safely sometime soon. Other than that, the only thing I have left to say is pizza out.